The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. Well, um, people sometimes joke with me uh, about the fact that uh, often in, in a sermon I'll be, I'll be talking about one thing and then I'll have a little rabbit trail and I will say, like I could do a whole sermon about that little rabbit trail, but we don't have time to do that today. So we're going to, you know, we're going to continue on with the topic at hand. And somebody told me once, you should do a whole series of things that you didn't have time to talk about in your other sermons. Um, and it's kind of funny, today, uh, today is the start of a series that might be a little bit like that. So uh, thank you for suggesting that. But to give you a little bit of history here, I did a, a, a message back in August. We were talking about the words of Jesus on community. If you were here then, you probably remember the Jesus on Community series. And uh, we, we had one topic about the concept of surrender and what Jesus taught about surrender. And I, I, I made an observation in that message based on the passage that we were looking at for the day that has sort of stuck with me in the months since. Kind of been dogging me, actually. And so I've wanted to return to it and go a little bit deeper and that's what this whole series is about that we're starting today, a new series called Matters of Life and Death. This whole series is, a, is our chance to go a little bit deeper with what it actually means to surrender our lives to Jesus. So what I'd like to do is read that passage for you so that you're kind of refreshed about what I'm talking about. And, you know, many of you wouldn't have been here that day anyway. And what I'd actually like to do with this passage, if you don't mind, is to read it together. And so you have red Bibles under your chair if you didn't bring one with you, and maybe even if you did, you might want to use a red Bible because it would would ensure that the translation is the same. If you are using a red Bible, you can turn to page 842. If you're not, it's it's Luke 9, uh, 23 through 25. So I'll wait until I stop hearing the pages flip a little bit, and then we'll, we'll say this together, okay? This is going to be our theme verse for the whole series, so we're going to come back to this. It's not on the screen in this case, though, so uh, let's read this together. Luke 9, 23 through 25, and I'm going to turn this microphone off um, so that you can all hear your voices instead of mine, okay? Okay, so the people listening to this on a podcast are like, that was weird. Uh, but hopefully they can look this up, and we'll, we'll come back to the words of that um, passage anyway. Now, actually, I have one more thing to say about this passage, and that is that I'm going to give you some homework. Uh, homework at church, come on. But your homework is, I would like you to memorize this passage at some point before the end of this series. Not too long, right? We could, you could do a little, little bit at a time. 
Um, I don't, you know, this is, a, this is another thing I could give a whole sermon on, but I think scripture memorization is a good discipline for us to practice, and it's not something that I've really encouraged you to do ever before, and I, I, I'd like to do that. So um, on the communion table here, and maybe I'll just actually pass these through because you may forget if you come get them at communion later. I have these little memory cards that have this verse printed on them. You can take one, keep it in your pocket, or put it on your bathroom mirror, whatever you'd like to do with it. Can I give you guys one and, and just have you pass it that way? And I'll give you guys a pile, and you can pass it that way. And um, I also have a PDF version of this that's going to be available on our website. So if you'd rather not take one of these, I don't think we have enough to go around. So maybe one per family for now. And then uh, if you run out, that's okay. We'll, we'll print some more, and you can get it on our website uh, by sometime this afternoon. So I'd like you to memorize this verse. I'm going to work on doing that myself. And we're going to recite it together each week before we start. And uh, maybe by the end of the series, you won't even need to turn to page 842 to do it. Good? So the key distinction from these verses, which is the most important thing to understand, if we're going to go through this series the way I'd like us to, is the distinction between death and life. Jesus said, for those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. Now, the, the thoughts that I have about these, this, this statement are what really make the basis for this whole uh, series, and it's what I, it was the observation that I made back in August that's been dogging me ever since, and it's this, that for, for us, 21st century Western Christians, American Christians, it seems highly unlikely that any of us will, will actually experience martyrdom and be killed for our faith. Right. Can we agree on that? Am I saying anything controversial right now? Right? Um, and, you know, somebody, somebody complaining on Twitter about the focus on the family ad does not count uh, <laughs> as martyrdom, just in case you're wondering. Um, if you weren't watching football last night, you don't know what I'm talking about, and that's okay. Um, so Jesus is probably not going to require of you your death for your faith. That seems unlikely. Now, of course, if you know anything about church history, you know that many, 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 many Christians did suffer martyrdom for their faith. Um, and all the apostles but, but one probably were executed for their faith. And so that is a very real thing. Uh, but for us, it's not really what's, you know, that's probably not on our radar. And, and it doesn't seem like it should be. So you're not going to lose your life in that sense. You're not going to die. Jesus isn't going to require your death, but he does require your life of you. All of it. Every day. And then the corollary observation here is that in some ways, obviously not in every way, but in some ways, it might actually be harder to live for Jesus than it would have been to die for him. Because it's something that you have to do day in and day out, all the time, week after week, month after month, year after year, for your entire life. Thank you, Moody. I have some extras here. I'll put them on the communion table. If you didn't get one and would like one, you can uh, get one when you take communion. So Jesus probably won't require your death, but he does require your life every day. That's the central idea of this whole series. So we're going to assume that we are all going to be here for a good long time uh, and that 
none of us is going to pass away anytime soon. But that doesn't mean we are not going to lose our lives, in another sense, by following Jesus. So what does it mean to lose your life if it doesn't mean die? For that matter, what does it mean to save your life, as Jesus hinted at what happens to people who save their lives, if you're not actually at risk for death? So I think it's a question of what you do with the time that you have on earth, which again is going to be a really long time for all of us. See, if every step you take is in the service of Jesus, every decision you make is in his service, every place you live and, and all that stuff, if you, if you submit everything to him, you've lost out on life in some ways. I mean, I think it'd be lying to say that you, you don't maybe lose out on some opportunities, right? If you want to live for Jesus, it, just like any other decision in your life, it shuts off a whole host of other possibilities. And if, on the other hand, you're making every decision with only yourself in mind, with only your own interests in mind, then you are essentially trying to save your life in other words, to preserve it and maybe even um, hoard it a little bit. You're trying to preserve it for your own ends. And Jesus seems to be saying, well, he doesn't seem to be saying, he is saying, I think, that the key to the kingdom is self-denial. Putting your own preferences aside and surrendering your whole life to him and to his will. So the key question that we're going to look at throughout this whole series is how do we serve Jesus with our whole lives every day? How do we do that? What does that actually look like? What can we do with every important area of our life to make each part of who we are subservient to him? So even though this series is called Matters of Life and Death, maybe, maybe we could think of it more like Matters of Life. <laughs> um, and today's topic, of course, is, is work, which somebody told me uh, during the passing of the piece, um, my, my sermon title is a four-letter word today. <laughs> um, so it's going to be work. But before we get to that, I have, there's one more thing that I have to explain, and I apologize that this is kind of a longish introduction to this whole series, but there's one more thing I want to explain, because there's a twist to this series. The twist is that you get to choose the last topic of the series, okay? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> so what I'm going to do, I'll give you the, the, all the topics that we have sketched out, so you can see what we are going to talk about, and you'll probably see a, a glaring omission that you really want to, you know, this area of life is one that I definitely want to, to have a discussion about how we serve Jesus in that way. And then um, after I give you the list of things, I'll explain how the, how the selection process will work. So today, obviously, we're talking about work. Right? Um, next week, we are talking about money, which is different from work, uh, even though for many of us, the reason we go to work is to make money. 
Um, the third week is the fifth Sunday of the month, and uh, you regular artisans know that the fifth Sunday of the month, we, we, uh, we take our uh, pathetic excuse for normal and, and orderly, <laughs> and we throw it out the window, and we do something weird and um, disorderly. We have a fifth Sunday festival. So the, the, the third week of this series, is actually, we're not going to talk about matters of life and death. Uh, the sermon time won't be me yapping. It'll be uh, testimony time, like they used to say in the old church, um, time for you to share what, how God is at work in your life. And we'll have a potluck afterward, and it'll be a big, a big old artisan party, Fifth Sunday Festival on the 29th. Uh, we will resume the, the topic at hand on February 5th with a uh, sermon by Pastor Mike about loved ones. Um, on the 12th, is the last scheduled topic, which is your mind. How do we serve Jesus with our whole mind, our intellect? We're kind of a, a smarty-pants bunch here, for the most part. I mean, I see a few exceptions. <laughs> um, uh, the biggest one being when I look in the mirror in the morning. But um, So how, what does it mean to serve Jesus with our intellect? Something that probably is not talked about in, in church enough, if you ask me. And then the 19th, we'll conclude the series with uh, how to serve Jesus with question marks. Um, this is our wild card topic. All right, so those are the ones we are going to talk about, and you get to choose the, ones that, the one that we'll talk about on the 19th, okay? And the way that will work is this. Today and next week, you can make nominations, and the way you do that is on, on your info card. I told you you'd want this at the beginning, but you didn't listen. Um, these are in your bulletins, and if you don't have one, um, I have a, a stack here, so we could bring them around, or maybe I'll just put them on the other corner of the table here. You can get it a little bit later. If you see a topic that's missing, please, right now, take out a pen. There should be pens with the Bibles under your chair if you don't have one with you. And write down on the info card, matters of life and death, topic X. Chevy versus Ford, or I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so that, that will happen today, and it will happen again next week. And then from that point, uh, for the next week or so, we will have open voting on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash artisanchurch. If you're not a Facebook user, well, God bless you, but that's okay. We'll, you can maybe have a friend vote for you. Um, if you don't already like us or fan us or whatever it is, I don't know, uh, on, on Facebook, you can go do that when you get home, or you can do it from your phone now if you want, whatever works. Um, but the, the poll will appear on the Artisan Facebook page um, probably about a, a week or so from today. When we get that second round of nominations in, I'll, uh, I'll look at the ones that are most frequently nominated, and we'll put you know three or four or however many we have that seem to be of interest to you on a poll, and you can just click and vote, and that will help that will determine which one we talk about. Fair enough? All right. On to today's topic at last, which is, as I said, work. And this is, this is an important topic because most of us spend most of our day working. Now, I know that we have some stay-at-home moms and stay-at-home dads in the congregation and uh, for Quite a while I was a stay-at-home dad, and so I have a great deal of, uh, uh, I was going to say sympathy, but that's not the right word. I mean, I, I know what that is like, and people talk about work, and you're like, yeah, my work today was changing diapers. Um, 
or whatever. So uh, just let me just say this to those of you who, who don't work outside the home. I hope that some of this will still be useful to you, and I know that the rest of the series will probably connect even better, and that's okay. Um, but most of us wake up in the morning, and the first thing we do is go to work. And then most of us work the whole day, and we come home, and maybe we throw some dinner together, and then we, we watch a show or something, and then we go to bed. <laughs> and then we wake up and do the whole thing again. And so for a lot of us, work is where we spend most of our waking hours. I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just an, it's an is thing. And so if we're going to talk about how to really serve Jesus in every single thing that we do, in every part of our day, every day for the rest of our lives, we can hardly help but start by talking about work. Um, it's, it's okay that we have sort of a sh- shorter time to talk about it today because we did actually talk about work in a little bit more depth uh, several months ago, and you could find those, those messages and outlines and things on our website if you'd like. But um, work is, is, the, is the thing that consumes us, many of us. But it's kind of interesting because the Bible doesn't really have a whole lot to say about work, at least work as we think about it. You know, in a in first century Middle Eastern culture, there, there wasn't like a whole lot of hired labor. That, that happened sometimes in vineyards and things like that. But generally, it was agricultural and you kind of, your work was producing your food. And um, there certainly weren't software engineers and college professors and mechanics and uh, general contractors in that sense of the word. Carpenters, sure, but uh, we know one in particular. Um, <laughs> as always, the answer is Jesus. Um, but work was, work was kind of different. And, and in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, most usages of the word work refer to the work of God or sometimes, um, secondarily, the work that we do for the kingdom of God. So not really our day jobs, per se. But at the same time, one of the things that I want to emphasize so strongly during this series, and I probably will say this so many times you get sick of hearing it, is that you don't actually need a specific, explicit, biblical instruction about whatever little thing you might be facing during your day or big thing you might be facing during your day, in order to follow and serve Jesus in a biblical way. Does that make sense? You don't need a specific or explicit biblical mandate for whatever specific thing you're looking at in order to have a biblical response to it. You know, my, my standing joke is, having gone to a, a, a small, private, evangelical Christian college, that people are always looking for God's will in their life um, and I think they went a little crazy with it. You know, they wanted God's will for whom they should marry or what job they should take or, uh, you know, and then I would just, my joke is that they would pray when they're going in a parking lot, Lord, just show me your will for where I should park. Um, and I was, <laughs> this morning I was updating our, our social media stuff, reminding you to park <laughs> in a way that um, made space, you know, park close together because we have snow in the parking lot. And I thought, you know what? God may actually have a particular will for where you park <laughs> sometimes. But it's not like the Bible says, thou shalt park in 7B and, and, you know, back the car in 
lest you get in a car accident, you know. Uh, but if we want to be biblical people, if we want to be a, a church that, that welcomes visitors, one of the things that we do in order to make the, you know, it, maybe it sounds silly, but to make the entire gospel message more accessible to people who might come and visit us, one of the things we do is we park closer together, and some of us park on the street, and we leave parking spots for people to, to use. So, you know, it's a, I make the joke all the time, Lord, show me your will for which parking spot I should take. But, you know, sometimes, sometimes you know, it, it, maybe there is a specific will. And it's probably not in front of a fire hydrant or in a handicapped space either, for that matter. But, so the point is, though, what we need to do is look to the Bible to find principles uh, that we can apply to these maybe gray areas of our life, all right? So what I've done is I've collected a few biblical principles about work that, um, that I would suggest you need to follow if you want to surrender your life to Jesus in the, in the workplace. Right. The first one I am so sorry to tell you is that laziness and idleness are not actually given to us as acceptable options, <laughs> people of faith. Um, I looked through the book of Proverbs, did a word search for the word lazy in the book of Proverbs, and it was so much fun. Um, the book of Proverbs is, uh, if you don't know, it's just a collection of wisdom sayings, and, and um, some of them are great. So let me read you a few Proverbs about, about laziness. Uh, one who is slack in work is close kin to a vandal. Proverbs 18.9. Uh, Proverbs 22.29. Do you see those who are skillful in their work? They will serve kings. They will not serve common people. That one's actually more about skill than laziness. Uh, Proverbs twenty-one twenty-five: the craving, the craving of the lazy person is fatal. You know, not to be over the top about it or anything, but it, <laughs> if you're lazy, you'll die. Right? <laughs> um, thankfully, we don't actually interpret the the proverbs uh, quite that way. You know, it's not like. Uh, if A, then B, it's not a mathematical formula. It, it sort of, pro, the Proverbs sort of seek to describe the, what will happen in the normal course of life. But, uh, and then my favorite one, I have to read like a few verses of this to you because it's so great. Um, it's Proverbs 6, 6 through 9. And uh, it sounds like some folk song from the 60s because it, it talks about, it, it says you should look, look at an ant for your example. And it, it coins the term lazy bones, which I think is great. So did you know that the term lazy bones is straight out of the Hebrew? <laughs> Go to the ant, you lazy bones. Consider its ways and be wise. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, it prepares its food in summer and gathers its sustenance in harvest. How long will you lie there, O lazy bones? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest... And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed warrior. So laziness, uh, at least according to the Proverbs, not really an option for us. And then if you look in the New Testament, this, is, this same thing is clear. Uh, especially in the early days of the church when uh, Christianity was spreading to uh, kind of the riffraff a little bit. You know, Jesus hung out with the, you know, the the uh, prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners and, um, and, and the early Christian church began to be populated somewhat by, you know, 
gamblers and robbers and thieves and, and so forth. And so you have these collections of people coming together and the leaders of the church uh, in the Bible, primarily we have the letters of Paul, uh, sending letters to the churches for how they ought to act, how they ought to live out their faith. Ephesians 4, he says, uh, thieves should give up stealing and labor and work honestly. So uh, no stealing, guys. Get a job. And, uh, and then the, the church in Thessalonica seemed to have a particularly poor work ethic because in, not only in his first letter to the Thessalonians, but in his second letter as well to the Thessalonians, he admonishes them against laziness. Um, in, in the first one, he says, respect those who labor and admonish the idlers. So if we're to take the example here of the Thessalonians, we, we are allowed to tell each other that we're being lazy, <laughs> Uh, and say that, that is not, that's not a Christ-like way to operate. And apparently he didn't get the message, and so he said it a little bit more starkly in his second letter to the Thessalonians. He said very simply, anyone unwilling to work should not eat. And remember, the church was having everything in common in the early days, and, and they were sharing things, and so uh, some people were, the background of that story is that some people were were so expectant of this uh, rapture and second coming, this sounds nothing like today, um, that they were being irresponsible with their lives. We would never do anything like that. Um, But they were sitting on the rooftops just waiting for Jesus. And Paul wrote them a letter saying, get off the roof, work, or you don't get to eat any food. So, So that's the first principle. Laziness and idleness are not really given to us as uh, options for how to serve Jesus with our life when it comes to work. Now, in contrast to that, the second principle is this. We ought to observe the Sabbath. And we talked about the Sabbath when we did our series on work. You could go back and listen to it if you'd like. We have the, the audio up still. But the Sabbath was one of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. The, uh, the Israelite people received this as a commandment from God um, using his own creation uh, story as an example, that you should work for six days and rest on the seventh day. And uh, the punishments for working on the Sabbath were actually rather harsh. Um, We don't really have a whole lot of evidence that this ever happened, but theoretically you could be put to death for not observing the Sabbath. Uh, Whereas in our culture, we tend to idolize workaholics and uh, admire people who never take a break. So some of you have a problem with laziness, you need the first principle, and some of you have a, the opposite problem, with, and you, you work too much and too hard uh, with no end in sight, and you never take a break to stop and pray and play and enjoy life, which is a commandment um, straight from God. You'd never, you might never dream of violating one of the other Ten Commandments, and yet you, you work, 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 never taking a break. Now, Jesus taught some things about the Sabbath that, that sort of... Uh, um, try not to use the word unpack, but, you know, that's what he does. He kind of unpacks this concept of the Sabbath and, and applies it in different ways because he was healing sick people and his disciples would, you know, pick grain as they were going about on the Sabbath day and these were in violation of the strict interpretation of the commandment not to work on the Sabbath day. And Jesus made this wonderful observation and said, look, people were not created so that they could observe the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for the people. And so I would make the distinction this way. You don't have to observe the Sabbath specifically, but you, you have to observe a Sabbath. So that doesn't, you know, for, for, uh, for, for 
Jewish people, the Sabbath begins at sundown on Friday and it ends at sundown on Saturday. Um, most Christians observe a Sabbathy kind of thing on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday, the day of the resurrection, the day of the week that that happened. Um, and that's why we sort of think Sunday is the more, more important day. But to me, honestly, it doesn't really matter. For example, I'm, I'm working right now. I can't really take a Sabbath on Sundays, so I try to take one on Mondays. I don't always succeed, but that's my goal. Um, and so your Sabbath could be um, a, a different day of the week, or it could be a different time of day, but you need to start with something, all right? So principle one is don't be lazy. Principle two is uh, observe a Sabbath, not, if not the Sabbath, a Sabbath. And the third principle is this. Um, you need to look at your workplace as an opportunity to be a witness for the gospel. This might sound a little bit trite and overdone. You, you probably have heard people say this all the time. You've got you've to be a witness for the gospel. Jesus said that we're, we're the salts of the earth and the light of the world, and you can't, you know, what good is salt if it loses its flavor, and what good is light if it's hidden under a bushel basket? Um, but, I, you know, I, whether that's overstated or, or trite or whatever, I, I can't help it. That's, I think, a very clear and obvious uh, thing to be aware of. If you, if you want to live for Jesus and if you want to serve him in your work, that you need to be a witness for the gospel. Now, does that mean that you need to hand out gospel tracts to everybody and uh, explain to them in intricate detail the, the eternal faith that awaits them? Um, before they get a chance to have their second cup of coffee every morning? Well, no, that's not what I mean. For some of you, it might be enough simply to admit the fact that you are a Christian. Jesus had something else to say about people who denied him, (laughs) um, which would be too depressing to quote to you right now. But for some of you, you go to work every day and your coworkers don't actually know that you are a Christian. Um, and I, I realize that sometimes you're, you're more embarrassed about your, your peers in the faith than you are of your Lord and Savior. Um, but how is anybody ever going to get a better perspective on what Christianity actually looks like than they see a, you know, a, in popular Christian subculture if you don't even let them know that you are one? That would be my question. Now, the problem with this, this is, there's a big problem with this, because once people know that you're a Christian, then you actually have to start acting with integrity. <laughs> and you actually have to be charitable and off, extend grace to people. Uh, if you're a boss, for example, uh, or if they're your boss and they, they, they need grace. And you actually have to work as much as possible for excellence. It's kind of like if you're going to put that Christian fish on your bumper... You better not flip anybody off. <laughs> uh, you don't know how many times I've wanted to blow my horn at somebody at the corner of Goodman and Clinton here. I'm like, nope, I'm going up to the church. They're going to see me pulling into the parking lot. <laughs> you know, it's not fair. It really isn't quite fair, uh, the assumptions that people make. And we do it too. Like, have you ever, somebody cuts you off and you're like, oh, I've, they got a Red Sox sticker on their truck. Figures. <laughs> Stupid Red Sox fans, right? Or, sorry, Seth. Um, oh, yeah, they voted for Obama. <laughs> of course, they don't know how to drive. You've all said something like that, right? Well, people who aren't Christians are saying the exact same thing about that stupid fish you have on your car. Uh, the, the fish is not stupid. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say it that way. 
But, but if you're going to put the fish on your car, you, you are a witness for the gospel with the way you drive. I'm sorry. That's the way it works. If you're going to confess faith in the workplace, you need to work with integrity and you need to extend grace and be a charitable, loving person and you need to work for excellence. You, don't, you never be the person, don't, don't give somebody an excuse to make that unfair judgment. Well, figures, they didn't do their TPS report right. Stupid Christians can't do anything right. You know, you, all right. So if you're keeping score so far, uh, don't be lazy. At the same time, though, you have to observe a Sabbath and be a worthy witness for the gospel in your workplace, both in word and in deed. And as we close, I want to offer to you a cornerstone principle, something you can set everything else against uh, in a way that I hope will make everything else make sense. This can, if you forget everything else, you can remember this, and I think you'd do okay. And I'm going to say it in kind of a cheesy way. Sorry. You, I want you to, to work as if Jesus were your boss. Right. I know that sounds cheesy. Work as if God were your boss. But the truth is, this is a biblical concept. I'm going to read to you a few verses from Ephesians, chapter 6. Verse 7. Render service, service with enthusiasm as to the Lord and not to men and women knowing that whatever good we do, we will receive the same again from the Lord, whether we are slaves or free. So, render service with enthusiasm as to the Lord. So you have to work as if you're working for Jesus. That's what, that's what he says. Now, you, this may sound sort of nonsensical. If you, if you, maybe if you have a menial job, well, how can, I, how can I consider mopping the floor or something that I do for Jesus? Like... Maybe if I was a doctor or a lawyer or a politician or somebody who had a, a really important job, I could. But wait, who is he writing to here? Slaves. <laughs> He's writing to slaves who became Christians and telling them, render your service with enthusiasm as if the Lord were your master. So if you, like me, have been mopping the floor at a coffee shop or, or something like that someday and saying, render a service with enthusiasm, uh, well, he said it to slaves. And so I think it's okay to apply it to your own life, no matter how insignificant you may think your actual job is. Charles Spurgeon said uh, something that we used as a worship meditation at the beginning. I'll read it again to you here. Never is life more ennobled than when we do all things as unto God. This makes drudgery sublime and links the poorest menial with the brightest angel. If you think about it, doing this one thing, rendering service with enthusiasm as if, you're, as if Jesus was your boss, doing that one thing, would really make all the other things easier, wouldn't it? If Jesus was your boss, would you show up late to work because you overslept? <laughs> if Jesus was your boss, would you, uh, would you decline the day off that he's telling you you have to take? If Jesus was your boss, would you cut corners? Would you cheat 
Would you steal pens from the supply closet? (laughs) Of course you'd work with integrity and grace and excellence. So something to consider. Render service with enthusiasm as to the Lord. And then this, the last thing I'll say is this. How does that verse end? The one the one that starts render service with enthusiasm as to the Lord. It ends like this. It says whatever good we do, we will receive the same again from the Lord. So there's a real hopefulness there even for slaves who are hearing these words. That whatever good you do, you will receive that same goodness again from the Lord which is consistent with how our key passage for the series ends as well, isn't it? Remember Jesus said, those who lose their life for my sake will what? Will save it. And so in the weeks to come, I want us to dig deeper and deeper into this concept of living every day for Jesus, of serving Him in everything that we do. And let's look together for ways that we can lose our lives in one sense for the sake of Jesus so that we might be truly saved by Him in the end. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we want to submit to Your call to follow you, to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, to put your will ahead of our own. And though we may not be called all the way to death, following your example in that way, we want to follow your example and serve you in our lives, in everything that we do. And so we pray that by the power of your Spirit, we would be given wisdom and guidance that you would show us the ways to serve you in our workplace, and with our money, and with our family and friends and loved ones, with our minds, and with anything else that we might encounter during the next several weeks. We want to serve you through it all. And we pray that by doing that, we would grow closer to each other in community, and closer to you, and deeper in our knowledge of you and our love for you. We pray these things in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet one God. Amen. Well, as we respond to the Word of God, I'll invite you to come to the table and celebrate Holy Communion together. You can uh, tear a piece of the bread and dip it in either the wine or the juice, whatever is more appropriate for you and your family. We continue to sing a little bit as we're taking communion together. And and at Artisan, we have what's called an open communion table, which means that we don't have a litmus test for you. We don't, you know, we we just trust that you come to this if you're following Jesus and that if you're not, uh, it's probably more appropriate for you to to sit and think and pray. Um, But we're not going to give you a a test. We're not going to require you to be a member of this congregation or even of our denomination. Our table is open. uh, And if he is calling you to it, If you are heeding the call of Jesus in your life, this is the way to respond. And so let's continue to worship him uh, at his table and in song.